that they have renewed their covenant, they've re-signed on the dotted line, they have recommitted themselves, I guess would be the best way to word that, to the covenant that they had already agreed to years earlier with the Lord, but had fallen away from. And uh, I want to encourage you in this. I, I was talking with somebody just this week that uh, they were talking about reading through their Bible, and they uh, said that uh, I'm on a one-year reading plan, it's taken me two years to get there. And uh, any of you ever experienced that? <laughs> been on that? And uh, we were talking a little bit about that. He said, you know, there were some times where uh, I'd go several days and kind of get away from it. And uh, I, we were talking about that. I said, you know, uh, we need to understand this, that just because we fail or we fall a little bit on those things doesn't mean that we have to quit and throw our hands up and say, well, there's no use in even trying. We get up, we dust ourselves off, and we, we start again. We keep going at it again. And I said, it may take five years to get through the Bible. Uh, but you just keep going at it until you get it done. And then, um, and we were talking a little bit about that. And I think that, that principle holds true in the Christian life in every aspect, in every area. Our heart's desire, our goal, and what God is, is expecting of us is for us to be like Him, for us to live in such a way that we exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, are, we are examples of Him. We are ambassadors of Him. And the truth is we know that we fail in those areas. And if we're not careful in our flesh, we're going to say, man, I've been to the altar so many times, I've made so many commitments to the Lord, and I can't seem to ever follow through with them. And the temptation is to say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to make that decision. I'm not going to recommit myself to the Lord. I'm not going to redouble my efforts. I'm not going to be diligent in this area. And we just kind of put the cruise control on, and we back off and say, well, I've failed so many times, I'm just going to quit trying. We learn a good lesson from the children of Israel. If there's ever a group of people in Scripture that tries and fails and tries and fails and tries and fails and tries and fails, uh, on and on and on, uh, it would have to be the nation of Israel. And yet we find a, a wonderful lesson from them that they come back to God. And this is the amazing thing to me, that every single time they come back to Him, he takes them back. He's ready to do a work in their life. And it's, it's an amazing God that you and I serve. There really is. Uh, I've said it so often before, in our, in our worldly thoughts and our worldly philosophies, we, we think in terms of uh, how many times somebody's wronged us or somebody's hurt us. And we say, okay, uh, they do it one time, I'll forgive them. Uh, they do it two times, I'll be angry, and I'll, but I'll still forgive them. They do it three times... That's three strikes they're out. I'm not putting up with it anymore. I'm glad God is not like that. I'm glad that God teaches us as Christians that we're not to forgive just seven times or three times, but we're to forgive 70 times seven. We're to give, forgive as many times as somebody wrongs us. We're to be forgiving of them. We're not to be enabling of them, but we are to forgive them. And uh, anybody that uh, has heard this, or maybe we've been guilty of saying it, uh, well, I'll forgive them, but I'll never forget. The truth is, what we mean by that is we are still going to hold some seed of resentment deep down somewhere. Now, I don't think anybody can ever completely forget and be like, I don't even remember anybody ever doing me wrong. I don't, I'm not saying that. That's not what the Bible is referring to here. It's referring to us having it before us, pondering it, always looking at them through the lenses or through the glasses of what they did wrong to us. I'm thankful that when I got saved, the Bible says that God remembers our sin no more. It doesn't mean that He doesn't know that it's been there. It means that He doesn't focus on it. 
He doesn't put his mind on it. He doesn't live daily or allow us to live daily uh, with him looking at us saying, there's Greg, and boy, I remember when he did this and this and this and this. He doesn't keep bringing our sin up to us. He puts it behind us and says, now, Greg, I want you to do better. I want you to live the way I want you to live. And uh, so we learn a good, valuable lesson through the high-level view of what chapter 10 is all about, and that is this, that the children of Israel had one time committed to God in the covenant, we are going to consecrate ourselves, you're going to be our God, we're going to live for you, and they had gotten away from it. And chapter 10 was all about them coming back and saying, we're going to put our names back on the sheet of paper. We're going to sign it again. Here's our commitment to you. We are going to fill this uh, covenant and fulfill this covenant and live this way. And that is our commitment to you. So that brings us to chapter number 11. And uh, one, of the, one, of the, uh, <coughs> one of the difficult things is living the decision after you've made the decision. You ever notice that? You ever experience that? The easy part of deciding, and we say it's easy, we go through that conviction. I don't know that we would call that so much easy. But it is easier to make the decision oftentimes than it is to live the decision. So we get to chapter number 11, and now all of a sudden these people that put their names down and said, we're going to live this way, now they got to do it. And it's going to cost them something. Let's look in chapter 11. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. The rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now these are the chief of the providence that dwelt in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their cities, to wit, uh, Israel the priests and the Levites and the Nethanims and the children of Solomon's servants. Now, understand what's happening here. The, 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 the city of Jerusalem had been ransacked. It had been burned with fire. The gates and the walls had been destroyed. Nehemiah comes in. He's rebuilt the walls. And he has cleaned the temple area, the site of the temple. He's redone the foundation to the temple. But this is still a city that is in... in in gross, it's been grossly neglected over the years. So much so that if you'll remember back to the first part of the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah inquired about Jerusalem, uh, he was sorrowful and he was uh, upset about it and he wept over it because it brought a reproach. I mean, this city was in such a mess uh, that even the enemies looked at it. And it brought a reproach to the name of the Lord. It brought a reproach to the children of Israel. And so even though the walls are repaired and the foundation of the temple has been laid and has been ready for them to build on now, and even though there has been spiritual revival, understand that the physical city of Jerusalem was still a mess. There was still a lot to be done here. And so there was, there was this commitment. We're going to follow you, Lord, and, and we're going to do what's right. And one of the things that they needed to do was to inhabit the city of Jerusalem. And so some of them said, you know what, nobody really wants to live here. It's not the, the nice part of town, if you will. Um, we're going to draw lots. And one out of every ten of you is going to have to pack up what you did, what you, what you have and what you're doing now, and you're going to have to come live in the city. You're going to live in Jerusalem. We find in verses 1 to 3 that it began, in fact, if you look at verse number 3, the Bible says, Now these are the chief of the providence that dwelt 
in Jerusalem. So the heads of the tribes, these men that were the the political leaders of the day, and even the religious leaders, as we find a little bit further down in that verse, that the Levites and the priests and the Nethanims, these were the ones that served in the temple, uh, also resided in Jerusalem, that it began with the leaders. They were going to have to endure some hardship in order to be able to do what, what they knew needed to be done for the cause of Christ and for, for God's cause. They needed to populate the city of Jerusalem again. Why? Because they knew that a city being rebuilt was not enough. It needed to have people in it. Otherwise, it is continuing to be a reproach to the enemies of Israel and to the enemies of God. And so I want us to understand this, that these folks were not just signing their names to a document and then continuing to live their lives the same way they had. There was effectively a change in their life in order to fulfill their commitment to what they had promised God in chapter number 10. They were going to have to endure hardship. And by the way, doesn't the Bible teach us that? Paul wrote this. He said that we need to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You cannot commit to do the work of God and there not be some persecution and some hardship along the way without there being some kind of a change in our life. Um, I remember as a teenager coming to the altar many, many times in youth meetings, and uh, the preacher would get up and, and he would preach. Sometimes it was my dad or, or some youth speaker that they had in. And they would have a message that told me that there were some things, and showed me from Scripture, that there were some things in my life I was doing I shouldn't be. And there were some things that I should have been doing in my life that I wasn't doing. And I would, I would get under conviction, and I would come to the altar, and I'd say, Lord, I want to do those things that You want me to do, and I don't want to do those things that You don't want me to do. And I'd get up, and I mean, there are times that maybe even I shed tears in it. My heart was broken. There was a contrite spirit. And I'd go back to my chair, and, and we all understand the feeling that you get when that happens. You have responded appropriately to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. There's nothing like that feeling. The burden of conviction rolls off of us. But then I've got to wake up tomorrow morning. And I cannot continue to do the same thing in my life that I've been doing and still hold to the commitment that I made to God the day before. When God causes something to be changed in the heart, oftentimes it requires there to be something changed in the life. There's some hardship that comes this way. There's some things that uh, the old flesh nature maybe has been comfortable in that we have to say, I'm going to wrestle it into submission and I'm going to bring it into, into alignment with God's Word. Why? Because I've committed it to God. I've made that promise to Him. I've made that decision for Him. It's difficult to live the decision sometimes, isn't it? I like what Brother Kenny said this morning. I'm still the same person I always was, but for the grace of God. By the way, you are too. The flesh nature is still there. And there has to be something that changes inwardly that causes the change to happen outwardly. And here these people are having to not just make a decision in their hearts and in their minds, but now they're going to have to go and put some feet to their commitment and say, I'm going to... I'm going to go and I'm going to do some things here that are going to cost me. There's going to be some hardship in the way. Some of these folks had to give up their land. They'd been farming it. They'd been living on it. Their houses were there. Their children's friends, their friends, their wives' friends, all neighbors to them, they had to give that up. 
And they had to go where God wanted them to go. By the way, uh, I am impressed so much with Abraham in, in the Scriptures. God told Abraham, He says, I want you to go to a land that I will show thee. I haven't showed it to you yet. And you know, Abraham, this great man of faith, packed up his family. He was a wealthy man. He had a lot of goods. He had a large family. And he went. Are we, are we at that point in our lives of being yielded to what God's will for our life is, that we would say, God, whatever you want. If it requires me to pack up my home, if it requires me to pack up my family, whatever it is, Lord, that you have for me, my answer is yes. You see, it's one thing in chapter 10 to put your name on a piece of paper. It's another thing entirely to pack up your home and move into Jerusalem. There's some hardship. They had to give up their land. They had to become a target for the enemies and the naysayers. Just because the walls were built, and just because there was revival going on in the nation of Israel, does not mean that the likes of Sanballat and Tobiah and Gershom disappeared. They're now exposed to their criticisms to their verbal attacks, to their threats. And can I tell you this? We have lived a life of unbelievable blessings of God here in the United States of America these last 200 plus years. But the time may come where we may have to be a target because of the stand that we take for the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be some folks that still come at us and say, well, you guys are are a bunch of crazies and loonies. Y'all are, y'all are wicked and evil. And they'll, they'll call what we do, according to the Word of God, the moral standard of God, they'll call that wrong. And they'll say we're hateful and we're wrong because of it. They'll try to embarrass us and shame us into leaving what we hold to from this book. It's already happening to some degree. I wonder, are we yielded enough to endure those kinds of hardships? we might win Christ, that we may be able to do according to His will, according to His Word. What would it take for you and I to say, God, the price is too high. I'm not willing. Every one of us has a threshold. I hope and I pray that I have the kind of faith that even though the nation of Israel had fallen away from God and they were coming back to Him, I hope I would have the kind of faith that these leaders had in verse number 3. They, they willingly came. These leaders, they weren't the ones that drew the lots. These were the ones that said, we'll go, we'll be there. There was a group of folks that also were willing to be a part of this. <clears throat> Look with me as we read down uh, through verse number 3. Now these are the chief of the providence that dwelt in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their cities, to wit, Israel, the priests and the Levites and the Nethanims and the children of Solomon's servants. And at Jerusalem dwelt certain of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin and of the children of Judah. Uh, he gives a list of names there. Uh, and verse number, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 7, 
And these are the sons of Benjamin. So we have a list of those that were from Judah and a list of those that were from Judah, or from Benjamin. Then verse number 10, we find that there's a list of those that were of the priests. Of the priests. Uh, and uh, the Bible says as we get down to verse number 12, and their brethren that did the work of the house were 820 and 2. So a large number of these folks. In verse number 13, we find that there was a group of the chief of the fathers and a list of them, their brethren, some of the mighty in valor, verse number 14. And uh, as we go on down, we find that in verse number 15, the Levites and a list of those that were the Levites. We get down to verse number 18. The Bible says all the Levites in the holy city were 204 score and four. Moreover, the porters, Jacob, Talmud, and their brethren that kept the gates, 172. So the gatekeepers were part of this uh, group of folks that were there. And the residue of Israel, verse 20, of the priests and the Levites were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel and, and Zehah and Gisbah were over the Nethanims. The overseer also of the Levites at Jerusalem was Uzai. And uh, so again, we have a group of them that are still living out and around. And we have some of them that are living there in the city. We see a list of these all given. Verse number 31. The Bible says, The children also of Benjamin from Geba, uh, Geba dwelt at uh, Michmash and Asia and Bethel and in their villages. And goes down in verse number 36. And of the Levites were divisions in Judah and in Benjamin. So again, all of these folks that are listed here, uh, portions of them went to live inside the city. Now that brings us to chapter 12. And we're going to go ahead and get started on We've got about four minutes left here. And uh, we'll at least get into chapter 12. Now these are the priests and Levites that went up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, uh, uh, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra. And he goes through a whole list of them here. I'm not going to read all those names there. Uh, verse number 7, These uh, were the chief of the priests and of the brethren in the days of Jeshua. Moreover, the Levites... Uh, and he gives a large list there, or several names there, which was over the thanksgiving, he and his brethren, uh, and unto Bakbukiah and Unai, their brethren, were over against them in the watches. Um, verse number 12, And in the days of Joachim were priests, the chief of the fathers. Uh, let's see here, verse 22, and again a list of them there. The Levites in the days of Eliashib, and Joida, and uh, were recorded, and a couple of other names there, Johanan and Jedua, were recorded chief of the fathers, also the priest to the reign of Darius the Persian. So uh, this is a length of time that these folks all stayed in Jerusalem. They were they were dedicated to the commitment of what they had given to God. And verse number twenty three, the sons of Levi, the chief of the fathers were written in the book of the Chronicles, even unto the days of Johanan the son of Eliashib, and the chief of the Levites, uh, Hashabiah, uh, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brethren over against them, to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, warred over against war. So again, we find here that there is a thanks that is being given to God, a uh, we'll find in chapter 12 there's going to be uh, some time of dedicating some things to the Lord. And uh, they start by giving thanks. In verse number 27, the Bible says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, 
They sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singings, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country round about Jerusalem, and from the villages of Netophi, also from the house of Gilgal, and out of the fields of Geba, and Asmaveth. For the singers had builded them villages round about Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. And I want us to stop there. We're going to deal with this a little bit further next week. But I want us to look at two things here that take place at the beginning of the dedication of the uh, things that God has blessed them with. Um, well, first one is, uh, it, it began with singing. It began with singing. It began with giving thanks to God. We're going to deal next Sunday, and if you're able to be here next Sunday, try to please try to be here. We're going to deal next Sunday with the topic of worship, biblical worship. And we're living in a day where what people call worship in our churches is not at all biblical worship. And a lot of the worship that uh, we think we're doing is oftentimes not worship in and of itself. Uh, it's lifting ourselves up. Uh, so we're going we're to look at this next Sunday a little bit more in depth. But I want you to notice there were two things that happened here at the beginning of the dedication. There was giving of thanks, and, and that was done by singing and giving worship to God. And there was a purification. We're going to look at the purification and what was purified, why it was purified. And uh, understand that these things are closely tied together. They're not two separate things that are completely unattached. But I'll submit to you this, and we'll deal with it a little bit more next Sunday. I don't believe that we can have true worship if we do not have true purification. For us to try to worship God with our mouth and live after the flesh in the, in the Spirit, our hearts are not in the worship. There has to be a purification. There has to be... A separation. We're going to deal with that a little bit next week, and uh, so try not to try not to miss that. And uh, some great, great principles in chapter twelve. I'm looking forward to it, and hope that you'll be here next week as well. All right, let's stand and be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you will bless it and use it. Lord, there are a lot of names in these next in these two chapters in eleven and twelve, and uh, Lord, certainly they are significant names. They're names of folks that you chose to record in Scripture to give us a lineage and a timeline, to, to give us a setting. And Lord, these principles that we've looked at even just today in chapter 11, the, the character, the discipline, the fervency of spirit that there needs to be in order for us to not just make a decision for you, but to live a decision for you. Is so necessary in the day that we live. I pray that you would help to guide our hearts, guide our minds, give us the strength that it takes to live in such a way that we are pleasing to you. Bless the service to follow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.